The Machine Kind Podcast is brought to you by GAI, NVIDIA, and Dell Technologies, and produced by government executive media group Studio 2G. Artificial intelligence is showing up everywhere, from our daily commute to shopping online to watching television. Federal agencies see the benefits of AI to their constituents, too, but haven't yet fully realized its potential. Getting started on implementing an AI solution can seem daunting. That's why GAI, NVIDIA, and Dell Technologies are here to help, partnering with government agencies to accelerate their path to artificial intelligence and deliver on mission value. To learn how to get started with AI, visit gov-acq.com. The federal workforce is evolving. Employees who work for Uncle Sam are tech-savvier than ever before and have more tools at their disposal to be more efficient. Thanks to artificial intelligence and machine learning, it might not be too long before AI, coupled with humans, become the norm in the workplace, helping to make predictive and better analysis and decisions. But resistance is brewing. Opponents fear AI will replace humans in almost every role, and they point to some troubling data. Forrester predicts AI will eliminate almost 30% of U.S. jobs while creating the equivalent of only 13%. The organization also projects that 73% of all cubicle-related jobs will be automated in a decade. But it's not all doom and gloom. The great AI shift comes with new opportunities. There will be a greater need for AI specialists, data analysts, and creative thinkers and doers across a range of disciplines. Big data can parse through millions of datasets on health outcomes, but a doctor's judgment will always be paramount. Autonomous fleets will still need supervisors. Drones will still need human operators on the ground. In short, AI still needs humans to be successful. To better understand what this powerful technology means for the workforce of tomorrow, I have two guests in the studio, both of whom can be described as AI evangelists. Suzette Kent is the Federal Chief Information Officer, and Anthony Robbins is the Vice President of Federal at NVIDIA. Both are heavily focused on AI and their roles and what it means for the future. Suzette has been involved in a broader effort to make AI a priority for the entire administration. She's also overseen some of the federal government's reskilling pilots, like the Federal Cyber Reskilling Academy. I want to thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Tim, it's great to be here. So Suzette, from your perspective as USCIO, what comes to mind when you think of human-machine teaming in the federal government? The first thing that comes to mind is the opportunity and the potential. And it is very exciting. But we also have to balance where we are today and how to start as we're moving towards um, that opportunity and potential. And as I work with the CIOs and the federal workforce, there's a lot of excitement. Um, and there's a lot of pilots that are going on. And now we're thinking about how do we continue to expand that. And the technology itself um, is a starting point. But what's really transformational is when we change existing processes, uh, when we use the broad spectrum of automation and AI to better deliver on mission, better deliver citizen services. And to not, right now, when you say what comes to mind, um, there is some apprehension about how do we start and how do we move forward. And so many of the things that we're doing um, are automating processes as they currently exist, but the exciting opportunities are really to take things beyond what we can, what we are doing now and truly uh, transform those. And with the workforce, it's not only the skills for using the technology, but 
how we leverage data is critically important. It's one of the things I know Anthony and I have talked about at times, but it's uh, one of the things that I try to keep those side by side. But it also requires all of the mission team to be together. It is a powerful set of technologies, and the way that we get the most from it is understanding what the mission-serving team wants to accomplish, um, and we point it in that direction. So in February 2019, the administration unveiled an executive order on maintaining U.S. leadership in AI. It calls on the federal government to help train a workforce capable of using AI in their occupations, among many other priorities. But specifically, what does that mean for employees now and in the future? That's a great question. And that executive order actually focused on the entire nation. So that was our broad American workforce, which is inclusive, obviously, of the federal workforce. Um, but the, the focus of that set of activities is the things that we're doing broadly in academia, in training programs, in investments, in grants that are made for research and expansion. So it had a broad spectrum of application um, across the various industries of our nation. But inside the government, and as we apply that to our federal occupations, the things that we are doing um, are somewhat similar. And we are focusing on areas where uh, we can build not only the technology capability, but the data skills, the skills in um, advanced computing, and working very closely with industry, particularly those industries who may be in you know, different places um, with expanding and leveraging the technology. What was important about the executive order is it created it as a priority. Agencies have so many priorities that they're sorting through. Um, but this helped us elevate it and ensure that the dialogue was happening and that we are putting resources around it, not only at agencies, but particularly those agencies who are deeply aligned with industries in the U.S., that they are supporting those sets of activities. Um, there are some things, again, around grants, around how we approach uh, supporting academic environment, how we look at alternative training programs, and uh, things that we do with ongoing support of our research and development and ensuring that we don't create regulation that gets in the way. So it's a broad spectrum. It was um, exciting to see that on the forefront of an executive order. So speaking of industry and, and government industry partnerships, Anthony, I want to talk a little bit about NVIDIA. NVIDIA is described as an AI computing company, and its tagline is supercharged computing for the da Vinci's and Einstein's of our time. So how do you work to supercharge the next generation of those geniuses, specifically the ones that work in government? Well, from a training perspective, we found a couple of things, as Suzette said, that that this AI journey that's underway has a big component of training, and that might be in high schools and universities. It might be across commercial industries, and then in the federal government. It's kind of, we kind of think it's in, in like three different buckets. It's the people that are doing the work today and some advanced skills that they might need to bring AI into operations, for example. The other piece we find is the people that are very interested in it that might need some training. And so that's kind of workforce kind of workforce reskilling or workforce training. Then the other component of this is the people that are not engaged in this that might need to be engaged. And it's not too dissimilar to what the federal government and Suzette and team have been working on relative to cybersecurity. This is a big transformation. I think there was a, a report published 
uh, via LinkedIn findings that the number one job out there is, is artificial intelligence and, and data science. So the, as we look at the, the whole workforce, there's classes of training that needs to be either established and then delivered to the marketplace. And the federal government is no different than commercial industries. That's great. And whether they're geniuses or not, um, the regular public servant of the future needs to have new skills for their career in government. Suzette, what expertise will be sought after for those who will work in the AI field? I'm going to tag a little bit on what Anthony just said. Uh, it, it's a broad spectrum of needs. Yes, there are the specific technical skills for building algorithms, um, understanding data, tagging data, curating data. And we need both the, the technical capability, we also need those data skills. In many cases, we're looking at very vast data sets. We need different approaches to how we use our computational capabilities. But the exciting thing is there, there is actually a place for many people because we also need deep subject matter expertise. Um, the, the teams that I view as most powerful are the ones when we have the technician sitting by the mission specialist and they are taking leaps and bounds uh, in serving mission and they're able to do things faster, more comprehensively, but you have to have the subject matter expertise, the depth of understanding of the data. That's one of the big challenges inside the federal government that we're working with right now. Um, building an algorithm is a set of activities, but having the data that actually creates the power uh, has to go hand in hand. And when we look at the massive amount of federal data sets that we have, it's important that we are confident in the quality, but we're also protecting the security of that information and the privacy of the citizens. So there's a lot of knowledge in that space that comes from the mission-facing teams and the teams that are very deep in the data. So it, you know, saying it takes a village, but it, it does take that combination of skills, which is one of the things that makes this technology different. Um, bigger opportunities and sometimes bigger challenges in agencies because it's not a tech-only thing. Yeah, I think it. we talked a little bit earlier about, well, we've described you both as evangelists for artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence in government. So I'm curious from both of your perspectives, what's the message that right now you're trying to get to leadership in government, the, the program managers, even the, the technologists? Where do you see the gap in um, and what are you saying to people right now that they need to know about artificial intelligence? Well, there's a couple things. I've heard Suzette say many times, it's pick something and get started now. Let's start moving in a direction. General Shanahan has said recently, this is going to be the year of, of AI and DOD. And, and I think both comments are right in that uh, the Department of Defense has been working on artificial intelligence since, you know, reported 1957. We had a big breakthrough. We came out of this artificial intelligence winter in 2012, right? That was seven years ago. So the world is making tremendous progress in artificial intelligence. And there's the debate really isn't any longer, is this real and is it big and is it important? It, the, the debate is, okay, how do we get started now and kind of what do, what do we get started and how can we kind of go fast in this area? So this is the largest tech transformation of our lifetime. And... And in, in the federal government, what we encourage is, you know, what are the use cases that are highly aligned to uh, short-term success? 
and we encourage them to kind of get started. There's a lot of work. Suzette's mentioned labeling data. We've talked about some about infrastructure and, and workforce training. But so we've got to align workforce training, infrastructure, the data in the right places focused on the right use cases and getting people started now. That's that's our big task. And that finally is changing transformation leadership almost less than technology. Right. Is it more change in transformation and, and buy-in that you're looking for, Suzette, than the technical expertise? It's it's definitely a transformational buy-in, but sometimes I use the term augmented intelligence because everything that we are doing is driven by a human. And the reason that we are doing it is to augment a human experience or a set of activities. And I'll, I'll give you a, a really simple example. One of the sets of uh, agency activity is something where we were looking at massive volumes of, of data to intervene to assist with preservation of life um, and, and in emergency response situations. And if we were to do that using only human resources, it would take us hours and sometimes days and in a situation like that you don't have hours and days but when we used AI we were able to do it in seconds and that's some of the starting places that are very exciting we're augmenting many of the things that we're already doing we're bringing a higher degree of precision we're expanding the net of things that be can that can be considered so that helps create not only a data-driven government, um, but but helps us better leverage the human expertise that we have um, and better guide decision making. So as you, you use the word evangelist, uh, but one of the things that, that I try to talk about is not being scared, <laughs> picking a point, as Anthony said, picking a point and starting at it and starting that journey. Uh, the power of what we're learning as we go along is really important, but the impressive outcomes are what convince people. And so many people actually are experiencing many of these things in their everyday life. Uh, they don't know it. They don't call it artificial intelligence, um, but it's the same sets of tools. And so as we go on that journey, we're building a higher degree of confidence. Um, we're learning to trust because of the explainability um, because of the certainty of the data and because of the quality of the outcomes. What are some of the examples that you use for people in our everyday lives to you know, encapsulate what's already happening in artificial intelligence in our, in our own personal lives? Yeah, no, Tim, you and I had an opportunity to talk before. I, I think I called it creep and leap. Uh, there are places where artificial intelligence and those types of automation capabilities have been creeping into the lives of Americans already, whether it's... Um, a shopping suggestion that comes because you visited a website, whether it is your playlist that makes additional suggestions, you know, a music vendor because you've listened to five other songs, um, whether it's things auto-filling for you, whether you use backup control, you know, on your car, or even the dependence. I know some people who don't even know what a regular map looks like <laughs> because they're so used to using uh, driving applications. Those are things that are every day. And we, those are all supported and augmented um, through types of automation, artificial intelligence. And, and we live with those every day. The leaps 
are areas where we're looking at disease prevention, uh, things that we can do in our transportation, um, emergency response, our power grid. Those are some of the big things that uh, are coming forward. So I I like to think about when we talk inside the federal government, we are focusing on some of those big leaps and bounds, and that's exciting. But the way that we build the confidence and trust is the everyday experience that people are having. So, Anthony, what are you seeing in, in federal agencies? I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions about different places that they can apply it. What are some of the promising applications that you're seeing right now? Uh, it's it's unbelievable, right? And so if you look at cybersecurity, and, and Suzette and team are doing a lot of work in training a cyber workforce. Uh, and then as we contemplate things like 5G being stood up, and as we go from hundreds of millions to billions to literally trillions of devices on networks creating data. Um, you've got this, so you've got this, this whole challenge and opportunity about the role of artificial intelligence in cybersecurity. You know, I, I've mentioned before that when General Nakasone, or before his confirmation, he talked about artificial intelligence was going to be really important um, to the future of cybersecurity. So that, and that, that goes across every agency in the federal government. Uh, humanitarian uh, assistance and disaster relief is a really neat use case that the uh, Department of Defense under General Shanahan are working on that if you look at it, it's, it's, it's how we respond to natural disasters, and it could be things like uh, hurricanes in 2017 or more recently uh, fires in the West Coast and, and others, right? And so because anytime there's a natural disaster almost anywhere in the world, our Department of Defense gets, gets deployed. And then in the U.S., we think about FEMA and the Coast Guard and so many uh, organizations, so humanitarian assistance, disaster relief. And what are some of the, like, uses of AI? What's that AI application? It could be anything from weather prediction and modeling to the back end of of disaster recovery. and could be things like looking for lost lives, uh, uh, disaster assessment for insurance companies, the whole whole gamut. Um, Platform sustainment, as uh, Ellen Lord has described, platform sustainment as the number one financial challenge in the Department of Defense, and data analytics and AI is going to play a role there, period. Um, uh, Suzette has talked a couple times about the like robotic process automation. It's another thing that, that the entire federal government and like, every agency can be working on. Waste, fraud, and abuse is a really big deal, and, and, and a lot in civilian agencies, healthcare, IRS, Social Security Administration. Uh, robotics. Now, Suzette mentioned some of the use cases Suzette was talking about earlier, natural language processing. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's, it's unlimited. Like the, the amount of, of application spaces or use cases that apply to what the federal government might do in the area of AI that's available like right now is staggering. And, it, you know, and it kind of gets back to some of the points that we've made many times is, is we think about this as a change and transformation effort you know, we, we've got to get alignment on, okay, what, what access to data do they have? What access to data can, you know, what data can be labeled? What infrastructure do you have? What use cases in aligning people and just kind of start this process. But there's no limit on the use cases currently, and that's only going to broaden. So it'll, this will affect every agency across the entire federal government, and, and nobody will not be uh, unaffected by this change. Tim, I'd like to add a, a use case that, it, granted, we were doing it um, in an analytical environment, but it, it was about emergency response. It was so exciting where we were looking at the, the question. So, so 
why, why do we want to use these capabilities to solve the really important questions um, that maybe we couldn't solve before? So the question was, where do we best place ambulances for first response? And so we were able to use weather data, to use transportation data, to bring in power data, like where's that? where is it likely to go off, when's it going to come back on, and movement of people. Where do they live and where do they work? To put those together to say, if a hurricane hits at this time, where are our risk points and how do we save the most lives? And that was something that was really exciting. And the speed at which those models could be run was astounding. But that gave us the opportunity then to inform those first responders. And Anthony mentioned natural language processing, the ability in some cases to um, leverage those capabilities for law enforcement when they're dealing with a very diverse population to actually communicate with somebody in an emergency situation is so very important when you have seconds to make a decision. So those are kind of some of the simple first ones, but they're really powerful. Um, and those are the types of things that we can expand on. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, to me, one of the metaphors I've used for artificial intelligence is mobility and, and mobile devices. And 10 years ago, there were a lot of federal agencies in particular, and we covered a lot of them, that weren't really thinking with a mobile-first mindset on their websites or, or user experience. And now you wouldn't think about starting a digital initiative without starting with how does the user going to work with this on, on a mobile device. I think that the comparison between mobile and artificial intelligence is actually not as significant, though. Like to Anthony's point, you said is one of the largest transformations that we'll see in our lifetimes because artificial intelligence not only handles the user experience, but the the back office, the analytics. I mean, there's so many different applications that you can come up with. Yeah, I, I would comment on that. So, in in that that mobility thing was we kind of we would call it from industry like a wave, and and the last three or four wave technology waves that we've all experienced as we went to this client server environment, right? That was a technology wave in government. It took us 10 years to to recognize that and bring it in and deploy it across all agencies. And then we also faced the mobility one, as you referenced, and cloud. Now, the, the next kind of big wave that we're all looking at is artificial intelligence. And statistically, it's been studied. And the, the technology investment that's going to go into artificial intelligence and then the business value to the world we live in is going to be bigger than the prior three waves that have come before it combined. Right. So this is a really big one. Wow. So Suzette, we've seen you um, at prior events talk to federal CIOs who are running some of the pilots that are high priority pilots for the administration. So could you talk to us a little bit about those pilots and what you're seeing come out of them? What are the use cases and, and what are some of the early results that we see? Yeah, I'd love to. And I'm going to take it also back to mission, because when I talk about um, how we connect, how the CIO delivers on the priority of the agency, it always starts with the mission and the question that that agency wants to solve. And in the examples I'll give you, it shows the diversity as well as what they're trying to solve. So um, recently we had an event at the White House, and we featured a couple of those applications. And one of the ones from HHS they used artificial intelligence to examine all their existing regulations and look for things that are in conflict or outdated. Or um, one of the funny things that they shared was they still had regulations about information use in tel of telegrams, right? Probably don't get too many telegrams these days, right? So, they, so, so that was a, a use case that um, they were going after. 
In some other areas, they are using artificial intelligence to analyze massive volumes of video information that they're coming back, whether it's criminal detection, emergency response, or situational awareness for types of things, um, because they're trying to get information out to field agents faster. And some of the transportation, you know, examples, they're looking at how do we drive efficiency um, and accuracy in sets of activities. In the HHS side, there's some exciting examples of leveraging these massive data sets for early detecting things that would help us prevent disease earlier. And they shared, you know, some of those use cases. We have some great logistics examples that, you know, out of the FAA and also, again, out of uh, transportation. But we have efficiency even in um, financial management. You mentioned fraud, waste, and abuse. There are places where we are able to detect errors, find duplication, and um, move from manual reentry of data and broader analysis of outcomes. Did we achieve you know, what we meant with that investment? And one of the more powerful ones that um, is really important right now in looking at um, investments and actions in uh, battling the opioid crisis, being able to take multiple data sets and look at availability of resources across the board, whether it's law enforcement, mental health, um, the economic resources, uh, what's going on in the healthcare environment, and seeing the dynamics of those together and model and test different theories helps us make better decisions about the investments and what, where we put resources to actually solve that problem. So those are just a couple of examples, but you can see the big spectrum. Um, and that is part of the important discussion with agencies. And that is a, a, a really critical part of the transformation is where do you aim this set of power? And I, I know Anthony and I have had conversations with agencies. He, he painted a picture of you also have to have some other resources available. Um, right? It's not a silver bullet for everything. You have to have those resources available, and you have to have a really precise question that you're trying to answer that's supported by the data that you can bring together. So those are some examples, but they're great examples that have, you know, driven impact. Yeah, I'm, as I'm listening to Suzette, you know, you could, add, you could say to yourself, where are the big problems in government today? And uh, security clearance reform, um, defense acquisition reform and, and that was kind of one of the examples and, and I and I remember I was at that meeting and I want to say they talked about like 1800 pages of mm -hmm. of documents that people had to go through to figure out how to buy stuff um, platform sustainment uh, then if you go waste front and abuse so if you just kind of go look at what are the really big government problems today that need to be solved for government for citizens for our country and almost unequivocally, you could apply AI to some aspect of it. Maybe not all of it, and maybe not right now, but some aspect of it that would allow us to get started and making a material contribution. So the subject of this podcast is really human-machine teaming, and I feel like we haven't talked about the human element enough in this. So what is it that we need to know about empowering humans to you know, use AI, or what is the promise to the human leader that they're going to get out of AI as they think about implementing it. Well, I'll make a comment. So I read a report recently, and, and in that report it said it's a fool's errand at the moment 
to try to 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 analyze the impact of jobs lost or jobs created because we're early enough and and the transformation is so big. PricewaterhouseCoopers said that by the year 2030, this was a 15.7 trillion dollar global opportunity. The the role of artificial intelligence in the world we, that we live in. So we we talk a lot about the use case, the technology, and the business benefit. Um, and and in all of that, in all of it, the human is in the loop, or the human is important. Human skill retraining is critical, and the like. And that more people are trying to uh, reskill workforce or trying to find people to do these jobs, than than is concern about the the actual impact of humans in that loop. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, Tim, one of the, one of the things with the agencies that I think about is is. Again, first of all, the technology is doing what people tell it to do. Um, and like anything that is new, there's the apprehension. We have to spend time making sure that people understand the capabilities um, but understand how they interact. And some of the some of that's reskilling and, and hands-on training, um, understanding of, of data. But the part where I see people get excited is when we automate and augment things they're already doing and they are able to do higher value work. So we, we focused on some of that in the president's management agenda of, of shifting um, low value to high value work, but uh, you know people don't like to enter data. Um, but the ability to um, assist our federal workers, particularly in areas where there are massive backlogs, so, you know, Anthony talked, we, both of us talked about some of the big problems. There are some problems that are right in front of us, areas where we have significant backlog. Aiming these capabilities um, there lets our teams learn and understand while we're solving an operational problem. Then we have an opportunity to move forward and look at some of the bigger processes. But the reason that I often talk about just start that's building the confidence, it's creating the dialogue, and it's understanding what's the next priority. So as we go through that process, we build trust, we build confidence, and we build capabilities not only inside the federal government, but relationships with partners in industry who are bringing in solutions. So it, it's, it's one of those that the the way we accelerate is through hands-on learning, not a, a study from afar, or watching another industry um, and the investments and the involvement of our current federal workforce in how we build the capabilities is the reason that they get excited about the transformation. And right now, we're more automating tasks. We're not taking away jobs with artificial intelligence or machine learning or natural language processing or any of those capabilities. We're taking tasks and we're taking components and making those go faster. So we're actually improving the working environment and creating new things that we have to do. So what we're seeing right now is not, you know, this thing is going away, it's just changing. And that should actually be a type of skill that we have across our workforce going forward because uh, the pace of technology moves a lot faster than other things, and um, it's an important part of 
how we stay current. Well, the same fears were there with cloud computing. And I think it's interesting that as you go through the migration of cloud computing, certainly there were there were turnover in different types of jobs and different types of skills. But when you look over the last two or five years, what was the most sought after company relocation in the world, maybe? It was the Amazon HQ2, where, co- where different localities were you know, petitioning to have them come for the job creation benefits of what's essentially a cloud computing uh, business model. So we're almost out of time here, so I just wanted to leave some time for parting thoughts and, and things that you want to share with the, the listeners about what, what the future of AI could be for them. Yeah, I'll make a comment, and then I'll let Suzette finish. Um, so I've, I've seen the federal government go through a couple different technology transformations, and I've kind of watched the technology come in or change in transformation leadership. I've actually been very impressed with what's going on from the executive order that's been signed for the the work that DARPA has, you know, DARPA announced AI Next, the um, establishment of the Jake, uh, the work that's being done on the federal data strategy, and and then then you, f- you see all kinds of examples where the Department of Energy has opened up an AI office and PTO is looking for you know folks and and Dr. Parker is working with NIST on standards and I mean the the amount of uh, funding. Uh, Mike Kratzios recently announced a you know nine hundred and sixty or almost a billion dollars going into non uh, uh, going into R and D for non DoD um, uh, agencies, and there's talks about uh, center of excellence and the like. And so I, I I think there's you know funding is starting to show up, focus is clearly showing up, and progress is being made. You know we didn't even mention, but. You know, the United States Postal Service is doing a lot, in, including autonomous pilots that, that have been underway for more than six months now. Um, so I think the federal government is has indicated it, it as a priority. Their uh, funding and progress is being made uh, almost across the entire federal government. And one of the things I like to challenge our industry with is that we actually have to move faster and be the best that we've ever been and assisting the change and transformation that's underway. So the defense contractors and the systems integrators and the commercial companies and the higher education institutions and the startups, whether they be in in Boston, Austin, or Silicon Valley, we have to work really well together at speed and scale to do something, to do really important work now. Because this is not a technology transformation that, that we can collectively afford for the government to lag in. And so I think to the extent that we all work together and do this really well, I think the results will be in like the improvement in citizen services and, and saving money and creating jobs and opportunity, especially for the federal government and this nation, are astounding. Anthony did a great job of running through everything that is actually being done. Uh, I think the listeners should take that as an absolute clear indication of not just priority, but all of government effort and across industry. And we are the world leader. We intend to stay the world leader. Uh, But that takes focus every single day. And if I wrapped it up with kind of a, a, a thought against all of that work and activity that's going on and boiled it down to something simple, driving meaningful outcomes that improve our economy, protect our national security, and actually provide better services for citizens 
that we can trace back to use of this technology, that's the direction we're going. That's what we're trying to do. And we do that by building trust in the capabilities and confidence in how it's being done. That means the quality of the data, the transparency, um, and the openness with which we are leveraging the capabilities. But it all gets back to driving meaningful Im impacts um, and being able to have the types of outcomes that our nation expects, our citizens expect, and we in ensure that we are in a place to protect the values um, of our citizens that, that we hold dear. And so that's why we have to be first in this, and we're going to continue with all these activities um, and the level of excitement and evangelism. Well, that's a great way to wrap. Um, I want to thank Suzette Kent, the Federal Chief Information Officer, and Anthony Robbins, the Vice President of Federal at NVIDIA, for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. I'd also like to thank our listeners of this last episode of Machine Kind. Machine Kind is a production of Government Executive Media Group's Studio 2G in collaboration with NVIDIA, Dell, and GAI. If you liked this episode, subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or govexec.com podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Machine Kind podcast, brought to you by GAI, NVIDIA, and Dell Technologies. The potential for AI in government is limitless, from cyber to healthcare to humanitarian response. The next step is for agencies to understand and embrace the use cases and start testing. AI implementation is now more accessible than ever with the help of partners like GAI, NVIDIA, and Dell Technologies. To learn more, visit gov-acq.com.